Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Face Podcast, the best podcast on the blabbernacle. I am Brian Dillman, and as you might have guessed from the intro music, we have another episode of Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. In this episode, she answers two questions. One wants to know how the high-desire partner, stereotypically the man, can best contribute to a relationship that is sexually dysfunctional, but also in the process of healing. The hint is, it may not necessarily be just waiting patiently. The second question is about male ownership of sexual desire. When you want it, but you don't openly acknowledge and express your sexual desire for your wife because it feels wrong or hedonistic or something like that, so you make her do all the work in cultivating the sexual relationship. In addition to the two questions, Jennifer and I compiled a short list of books that are good resources of information about female sexuality, about relationships, that couples can read together as they work through their relationship issues. And you can find those on the blog post. Uh, so go there, there's links, There we even have ratings. We used milk and meat, because we have to have milk before we're ready for meat. And uh, for many of us, our comfort level with, with topics of a sexual nature means that we need to eat milk first. So there's a couple that are, are more milk-oriented and others that are more meaty, if you will. So uh, that's what you have to look for. So let's jump right into the discussion. everybody we have another episode of the ask a mormon sex therapist series with dr jennifer finlayson fife we we've lost laurel she's stuck at a family thing and uh, so it's just me and jennifer so luckily we have some male centric questions today so this is what that's what we'll be focusing on so um Jennifer, for those who are tuning in for the first time, can you introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are sure. and why you're answering the questions? <laughs> sure. So my name's Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I live outside of Chicago, and I am a licensed psychotherapist, and I have a private practice where I work primarily with LDS couples um, around relationship and sexuality issues. And, you know, I teach online classes and I do a lot of uh, work on the issues of sexuality, but in particular relative to our LDS faith and culture. Thank you. So this is the ninth episode, and every episode we answer, Jennifer answers two questions, typically. And if you go to the Rational Faith's homepage and go on the About page, drop-down menu. There's the podcast is one of those selections. And in there, there's a grouping of all these Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist episodes. And there's a, like a very brief version of the questions that are asked or the topics that are raised. And so if you're new to this, you can go there and see what questions we've already um, discussed. And if you still have other questions that aren't quite addressed the way uh, that makes sense for you, one option would be to um, ask a question and hopefully we'll be able to get to it. Another option would be that you could schedule a <clears throat> one-hour consultation with, um, with uh, Jennifer. That's right. 
All right. Well, the questions today are probably things that are on a lot of minds of men that listen to this podcast. Um, just as a framing for the first question, uh, the the person that submitted the question says they really enjoyed listening to the discussions and getting the insights. Um, but from his perspective, the responses tend to focus on the female side of sexuality. And I'm sure there's reasons for that because of the the way that the LDS culture talks about sexuality. Um, and I think that's actually been addressed a time or two as we've discussed mm-hmm. as, as we've discussed this. Uh, but he wants to know, you know, what do the hus- how do the husbands do what 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 do the husbands do as their wife is working through this other than waiting? Mm-hmm. And so his question is this. My wife and I have been married for 17 years and have four wonderful children. We have always been great friends and love and respect each other, but have never had sex on a frequent basis, on the average about once a month. During this time, I've done my best to be understanding of the stresses that are placed on her and the influence it can have on her desire. All the while, I figured this was normal, but recently something has changed. I find myself getting more and more frustrated by not having a consistent outlet to which to express myself sexually. The longer we go without sex, the less connected I feel to my wife. Other women who I never found attractive have started becoming, well, more attractive than normal. My wife craves physical touch, holding hands, snuggling in bed, nothing overtly sexual. But this touch leaves me craving intimacy even more, and I end up going to bed frustrated. I don't masturbate or watch porn, don't want to put my good standing with the church on the line, but I don't know any safe way to express myself sexually during these dry spells. I literally feel like my chest is about to explode and I don't know what to do. Any direction you could give would be greatly appreciated. Okay, good. Um, so I think I think there's two questions that are implicit in his question, and I think the first one that I hear in it is like, how do you stand up for a better sexual relationship? And then maybe what do you do if you don't get one? Um, he's kind of implying in the question, I think, that he's sort of patiently waiting like that's the right thing to do and it and it may be the right thing to do but i i think the question that i have in response to it is why are you not standing up for a better sexual relationship like you know if you think it's good for your wife for you to not pressure her or to hold back then to give just a really straightforward response i would say then own your position that this is the right thing to do and just have courage in the face of it because you believe it's really good for both of you for you to be holding back. But what I actually sense is happening is not that he actually thinks it's good to be holding back. In fact, that's why he thinks his, you know, his chest is going to explode and he's looking at other women and so on. I mean, or that he finds them more attractive and appealing than normal. What I read between the lines is that there's growing resentment and there's a growing sense that his wife has control over him and over his sexuality, and he's he has growing anger about it. And um, what I would say is just uh, sometimes we should do a question on pornography, I think. But I, I think often um, resentment drives uh, – resentment is often behind unfaithful behavior. 
whether that's looking at other women, pursuing connection with other, with other uh, people, if it's looking at porn, it's often a kind of resentment-based behavior when you feel that your partner controls your sexuality and won't give you what you want. And in relationships, I mean, what I would say is, first of all, when you're the higher desire person, just by default, this is an idea of David Schnarch's, that by default, the lower desire person has more control because unless you're going to take someone's agency away, the person who wants anything less is going to have more control. And so by de facto, you know, that, that person does have more control. But oftentimes we have a very difficult time managing ourselves in the face of what we can't make somebody else give us. And this not just in the sexual realm, that's in anything that you may want in a marriage where you can't agree to disagree, where you have to choose one person's desire. Usually the lower desire person trumps unless the higher desire person is going to force it. And so I think, again, going where I go in response to this is why are you not standing up for something better? Now, what I think we usually would rather do is resent our spouse for not giving us what we want and fulfilling our desires than we want to actually function in a way in which we're really standing up for what we desire. And that is to say to take responsibility for what we desire. And so if, if this person were to take more responsibility for what he wants in his marriage, um, it's not like, hey, you owe me so much as being willing to stick his neck out and to expose that he wants better between them sexually and that he is asking for her to offer more and for her to not, you know, it sounds like that she wants a certain amount of engagement. You know, I'm making assumptions here based on the question, but it sounds like she wants a certain amount of engagement that she's comfortable with and it includes physical touch and cuddling and so on but she doesn't want the level of exposure and sort of sexuality that a, a more complete sexual relationship would require. And the, the person writing the question is tolerating that level of development between them. So I would like to know why is he tolerating it? No, I mean, he might be tolerating it because he really doesn't think it would be good to ask for more, that it would be not good for his wife. My sense is that he actually thinks it would be good for him and for the marriage because he's saying he doesn't feel as close to his wife, but he doesn't want to actually lay claim to that. And so why not? I mean, oftentimes we don't want to lay claim to what we want because we have a hard time legitimizing our own desires. And I'll talk about this in the second question that you have um, on the docket here, which is that a lot of times men, especially in the church, feel like their sexuality is, is, is wrong, is potentially corrosive. And so they are, and they want someone else to come in and validate their desire, but they have a hard time standing up and saying, I want a better sexual relationship than we have. Another question to think about is like, am I, am I functioning in a way? I mean, it's one thing to go in and say, hey, you owe me better sex, you know, you know, you, and express a kind of entitlement, which is probably not going to get you better sex. <laughs> it might get you capitulation. It might get your partner to put out more. But that's very different than what most people want, which is passionate sex or someone who really desires them. So am I, am I actually functioning in a way in this marriage in which I'm increasing the likelihood of a better sexual relationship? One, by articulating what it is that I want, 
by holding clear that I think it's valuable and important in our marriage and that it's worth um, reaching for as a couple. You know, third, by really thinking about whether or not I function like a desirable person. Do I function in a way in which um, I make it compelling for my spouse to deal with her, in this case, or his anxieties around sexuality? Um, those are harder questions. I mean, it's, it's easier to kind of resent that your spouse won't give you what you want than to really think about, um, am I really pressuring in a functional way that we reach for a sexual relationship where uh, that's worth wanting? that's worth having. And whenever you stand up for better in your marriage, it doesn't just mean articulating that you want something different. It means you have to function at a higher level also. Right? So I think that um, some of this person's ambivalence about whether or not it's a good thing for the marriage is, and, and I think that his wife is not validating what he wants, has controlled the how much sexual engagement there is and you know I could argue that it probably is I, it seems to me that it's bad for both of them that on his side he has growing resentment he feels disconnected from his wife he's not really taking responsibility for the kind of marriage and sexual relationship that he wants I think his wife is probably sitting in some of her letting her anxiety run her relationship to sexuality and to him and not really addressing what her low desire might be about. And, um, you know, her low desire may be about her discomfort with sexuality, her underdeveloped sexuality. It may be about dynamics in the relationship that are legitimate and real and undercut her ability to desire him, you know, for legitimate reasons. There's, there's just issues that neither partner has wanted to deal with, I think, and so it's easier to just kind of be upset that you're not getting the validation of a desirous partner. And so what does the other person do? I mean, I think it's it's like really be willing to stick your neck out and take some risk in saying, this is what I want. This is what really matters to me. Um, I, I don't want to undermine you. I don't want to um, force anything out of you, uh, but I want you to know that it that this is ma- matters to me and is important to me, and I'm willing to really look at how I would make it better for you, and I'm willing to do what I might need to do for both of us to have a more enjoyable physical engagement, but I, I can't sit back any longer in a kind of uh, passive, benevolent um role and really be at peace about it anymore. And so I'm asking for us to do something better and different together. That that's what it looks like. Now you don't always get what you want, of course. Right. And that's hard, but I still think that then the question is I mean the question that I you know I I, I articulate a lot which is how do I use my sexuality for good in the context that I'm in? And you know, I would say in this particular example if you're going to use your sexuality for good it means standing up for a better sexual relationship Um, sometimes you still don't get what you want and your partner doesn't want that and then you have to think about what does it mean for me to be true to myself in this relationship to what choices do I have in the face of my spouse's choices that I can live with with some integrity and some dignity and, I mean, I'm not saying those are easy questions. They're hard questions. But what what am I going to choose? 
because that ability to not just resent and be hostile, but instead to assert choices, not only makes you a more desirable partner, not only makes you more compelling, but it, it, it's at the core of development within ourselves is to differentiate more from um, the control of our spouse's validation of our desires and, and our sexuality. So, <clears throat> kind of to, re- to reiterate, I <clears throat> I definitely agree. I mean, it's intuitive to me that the low desire person is in more control for two reasons. One reason you already articulated. The other one is that in the LDS framework, they're viewed as more righteous because mm-hmm. it's like sex is almost like a evil. Some, an evil that you tolerate or you manage, but yeah. actually desiring it is not a virtue. You know, it's not it's not viewed as a virtuous thing. It's viewed as something maybe in the best context or the best light would be a tool that helps your relationship. Right. But the desire in and of itself is problematic. Isn't virtuous. Yeah. Yep. And so they're seen as more in control and more in touch with the spirit, that sort of thing. Um, so it is. It, sometimes it is hard if you view yourself as a good person, but you have this desire that's different than your spouse's. Yes. You feel like there's something wrong with you, maybe. Yes. In in wanting it. Absolutely. I, I just this gets me like just you bringing it up. I, I get kind of passionate about this. I I feel like what you're saying is absolutely true. So not only is there the de facto issue of the lower desire person, unless you're going to force something on somebody, always their desires trump. Uh, but but what you're saying is that in Mormonism, if the woman's the lower desire partner, she can grab at this cultural narrative that basically she's more righteous. She's not as hedonistic. She's not after such sort of you know selfish, gratifying, carnal needs as her husband is. And I think this is really an abuse, not only of our theology, but it's an abuse of your sexual relationship. Because as I see it, when you decide to get married, you decide you you are making a commitment to be in a sexual relationship with someone and to bless that person's life and your own life through your sexuality. And then a lot of times we want to, when we get uncomfortable, because sexuality requires a lot of courage and strength, I think, to really have an intimate, passionate relationship. It's, it, it, it requires an expansion of our own soul and our willingness to really be known. And often what we want to do is, is shortcut that or curtail that process by claiming the higher ground of low desire. Now, I'm not saying that low desire means if you have lower desire than your partner doesn't mean that you're underdeveloped it just means you have a difference in desire but a lot of times people will sort of claim the higher ground in the marriage by using that cultural notion and i think you know that can be as evil as somebody whose sexual desire it can be selfish in that they're always pressuring their wife to have sex that that is to say that you're not bringing your best self to your sexual relationship and really looking to care for the other person through the way that you both uh, use and express your sexuality. And so I think that sex, I often say, is neither good nor bad. It's what you do with your sexuality that entirely determines whether or not it's good. And so I think a lot of people who are never having sex are actually really deeply taking advantage of their higher desire person. 
you do carry precious cargo in the relationship when you're the lower desire person and you do need to respect your own limits and wishes but not take advantage of the higher desire person by not also caring and giving not out of obligation and duty and resentment which we all like you know again resentment is a theme in this question it's easy to do resentment I'm saying you really lay claim to a position like I may not be in the mood but I care about you and I I you know I love you and I want to love you well and so you know I'll help me get in the mood so um so I think that that's definitely a piece that I think we have to we have to let go of culturally to help all of us out so how would you how would one frame it because you know, if you come in and say, look, this is just something I want, it can sound like, look, you know, I I feel this way and that's what we're going to do. It can, it can feel oh, forceful sure. or, in, or it, it could be interpreted as, as similar to, look, I want to watch porn with you, okay? <laughs> can, we, can we do that? Because, right. because of the evilness associated with yeah, desire yeah. Well, in general. So how, how, how if... You know, I do an online relationship. I do an yeah, definitely. It's a great question. I mean, I do an online relationship course, and I deal with this issue of desire and entitlement a lot because we quickly want to go from standing up for desires to entitlement. Like, okay, I listened to this podcast. She said I got to stand up first, and so we're having it tonight. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) And no more of this crap about me being hedonistic. Um, Meaning entitlement is not standing up for a good sexual relationship because you might get your spouse to cave into you. You're not going to have a good sexual relationship. She'll give you exactly the kind of sex you deserve, okay, (laughs) at that moment, which is you're going to be pressuring and entitled and you're going to obligate me. Well, I'll maybe show up physically, but I'm going to screw you by not opening my heart up to you. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So if you want to actually stand up for a good sexual relationship, you're going to deal with who you are as a sexual partner, what part of you might not be desirable, what your spouse might actually need in order to enjoy being with you sexually more. You might learn more about female sexuality, which is a lot to learn, and very few men, well, often men in my experience, don't take the time to learn about female sexuality. And so I think that standing up for it is not like, hey, you owe me. It's like, I really value this. I'm willing to grow myself. I'm willing to look at myself. I'm willing to address what we need to address, but I'm not going to back down. I want this to be good. I, I want us to create something worth desiring for both of us. And so that might mean that I let go of things that I want. It might mean that I channel and focus my myself in different ways. I'm less selfish sexually. Maybe it means I actually am more present with you when I'm sexual, which or even the higher desire person can create more anxiety and more self-doubt. So it's it's not about going in and pounding your fists. It's it's about really saying what do I need to do to actually be a more desirable partner. Yeah, and that, you know, one step might be first having the conversation if you've never had the conversation yes. in a framed in a positive way. And then another thing would be you know, I don't know, getting a book or listening to a podcast together. Because, you know, one thing I've noticed with with this topic and with faith transition topics is one person is diving in like crazy. Right. 
learning all this stuff. And so they kind of feel like the expert and the other person yep. is not as interested. Yep. And so they don't look at it on their own. And so they feel right. like they're at a disadvantage and they're being attacked. And so they might cloister more and, and uh, kind of put a shell up. And so do I think I really think it's important to do it together, to read together. Yeah. Um, yeah, if at all possible. I mean, you can't always get your spouse to agree to it. Uh, and But I think you're right. The more collaboratively you approach it, certainly the more it opens up, you know, not like I'm the expert, you've got to get it together. You've always been the defective one sexually. I would say it's like, you know, we haven't been a particularly functional couple sexually. And so I have a lot to learn and perhaps you have a lot to learn and I really want something better for our sake, for both of our sakes. So can we learn about it together? Because I obviously haven't been turning you on and uh, making you compelled to be sexual with me. So I'm willing to learn for myself also. You know, it's just a more collaborative position. Yeah. Um, Maybe for the show notes, we should put together a short list of maybe books or podcasts or something with a one or two sentence summary of what they are and and how graphic or how, you know, how shocking or, mm-hmm. I don't know, sensitive they would be to a, Give them a typical a rating, LDS person. PG-13. Yeah, a rating. Of, <laughs> yeah, rating for LDS people. Okay. Yeah, I could try that. <clears throat> okay, well, that's, I think that's good, uh, good framing. Um, if you're having this discussion with your wife, this question-answer session that we just had would maybe be a good place to start to talk about um, <clears throat> how you're going to, you know, how you want to move forward as a couple. Um, but let's move on to our next question. Uh, the question reads, my husband and I have been married for 20 years I still feel young, sexually attractive, and healthy. He is the same. For most of our marriage, our sex has been good and even great at times. We have kept things exciting by exploring fantasy stories, lingerie, play acting, and other ways of keeping things fun. Lately, though, I'm realizing that most of the work of this falls on me. He tells me he doesn't come up with sexual stories because I am so good at it. I have noticed my interest in sex is waning, and for the first time it seems like we have a different appetite for frequency. So much of the work of our sex life falls to me. In listening to your podcast, I recognize that he has a lot of fear and shame regarding his own sexual arousal. For example, he has always been hypervigilant when it comes to other women, to a point that feels like an immaturity to me now. Am I the only woman out there whose husband is putting the responsibility of our sex life completely on me? He doesn't like to initiate, but he will passively complain if it's been more than a week. I'm worried about transferring this type of hypervigilance in the name of virtue to our sons. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a great question. And no, no, you're not the only one, the person who asked this question. Uh, It's not an unusual theme at all. So I think that, you know, I brought some of this up already, but I think that the way we gender sexuality in the church is that we, as you brought up, Brian, that we see sexuality as a kind of necessary evil. Nobody ever says that, but it's we really are anxious about desire and in particular eroticism and, and especially male sexuality. That Because we see women as relatively impotent in every sense of the word, 
that their sexuality is also passive and receptive, that, you know, women may tempt men, they may be seductresses, but their sexuality, if they're good women, is, is you know, decent women is really kind of non-existent. It's more in being receptive to a man's sexuality. Men we see as much more powerful in the world and um, as capable of being selfish and self-gratifying. And, and so I think men grow up more with more legitimacy of being sexual beings than women do. Um, that's implicit in the messages, but a lot of messaging around self-control and controlling this part of being a natural man, so to speak, that if you don't control it, it will take you down, it will harm another person, it will harm your wife, it will defile her, you know, that's defile a girl that you're dating, for example. And so men especially that are sensitive, um, and want very much to be good men really have often as much anxiety about sexuality as women do. And in this case, you know, this is not a man who has low desire, it sounds like, from how she's writing. He just doesn't want to take responsibility for his desires. And this is, you know, often the lower desire person doesn't want to take responsibility for their desires. They want to be desired but they want the onus of attraction and desire to be on the other person's shoulders. And in this version of it, he's saying, you know, I want to have sex with you because I'll, I'll give hints if it's been a week or so, but I don't want to actually stand up and say and express what I want sexually and to show you my sexual self and to request things. And I can understand that he may be trying to do it in the name of goodness, but of course, his wife's not receiving it as goodness. She's she's angry about it because she feels like you're not taking responsibility for yourself and you're laying it at my feet. And that's not fair. And and it's not attractive to always be trying to, uh, you know, carrying that burden for both of us. I want to feel desired also. I want your eroticism to come into the relationship without, you know, framing it in goodness that you're silencing it. And I think this is, and I talk about this a lot in my my relationship course in particular, but I think this is really this accommodation stance. You know, we, we do it for women, but we also do it for men from this kind of noble patriarch position where I'm going to kind of silence what I want and I will accommodate you. But what it really is is I don't want to take responsibility for my desires. And so... What I would say is she, the woman in this question feels taken advantage of. She feels like he's not really owning who he is sexually and he's not giving me the satisfaction of feeling wanted or desired or that he will bring himself into our sexual engagement and take responsibility for it. And so, I mean, in response to it, I think I would say, you know, I don't see goodness in that. I, I don't see in any way that it's good. I mean, I understand the anxiety and I understand that this is an inherited anxiety, but that's very different than saying I'm actually doing good. Now, I think that the person, the, the man in this um, question has to think about if I'm willing to take more responsibility for what I want, that's not the same thing as entitlement, which is really the theme of these two questions. That's not the same thing as entitlement. Just because it came into my head doesn't mean I go and pressure my wife into anything that I feel like doing. I'm going to uh, 
if take ownership of what I desire um, and hold it up against whether or not I think it's morally sound, like would it undermine me or her if I were to follow through on what I desire? Am I willing to tolerate the invalidation of showing my own sexual desires and sexual thoughts? Um, basically, if you take more responsibility, then it pressures you up against the morality of your desires. And that's a very important thing to do. Because oftentimes, you know, I was talking to a client yesterday and He's somebody who actually pressures his wife and kids for a lot of accommodation, but he won't ever take ownership of it in the form of a, of a direct ask or of expressing gratitude when his family does yield on the things he wants. And so when I was questioning him about it, he said, well, it'd be so selfish. I don't feel comfortable taking from other people. And my response to him was, no, you absolutely feel comfortable taking from other people because you do it all the time what you don't feel comfortable with is owning in front of other people that you're taking from them. <laughs> and that's, you know, if you express gratitude or you articulate what you want and acknowledge it as just your desire, then you have to own that you in fact want to be accommodated and you can't sit with that. Now, what I said to him and what I would say to anybody, if you can't sit with it, why not? I mean, can you not sit with it because you actually think it's wrong to take it? If you think it's wrong to take it, then don't take it. If you really think you're going to undermine your spouse in a sexual relationship or others in the taking, then you really ought not to take it. If you think it's just that uh, I realize I'm asking and it's hard for me to kind of validate my own desires enough to know that it may make someone else uncomfortable, but I ultimately think it's good for both of us if we do it, then own what it is you desire. But it does, in taking responsibility for your desires, I think it pressures your moral development not the other way around. And so if this man wants to be less selfish and do more goodness in his marriage, I would say take more responsibility for your sexual desire. And that's not saying do whatever you want. That's saying take responsibility for it and then chart what you think is actually a way of blessing your wife and blessing your sexual relationship. Yeah, The, the thought that keeps coming to my mind is communication. It seems like in almost every one of these problems, there's a communication breakdown of some sort mm -hmm. where it's not clear that there's a problem mm -hmm. or there is a problem, but we're not talking about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, constant open communication a lot of times will solve or at least lead you to start to solve mm -hmm. a lot of these problems, I think. Yes, and what I would say is one reason why people don't communicate is not because they don't know how to say what they're feeling like the example of the person in the first question he clearly was feeling some resentment he's feeling really frustrated but he's not saying it to his wife and so he's not saying it for a reason and the reason he's not saying it I think is that he's not really sure if he wants to take responsibility for what it is he wants he'd rather be upset that he's not getting it and so a lot of times or he might be afraid uh, and maybe this is the same thing yeah. that you're saying but he might be afraid of how she'll react that's exactly to his right. desire. That's exactly right. And that is exactly what I'm saying. So I think that that um, that's why the communication breaks down is because it, it's a developmental step to actually stand and own your own desires and feelings and experience in the face of invalidation. You know, this is again an idea of David Schnarch, which is that basically sexual relationships consist of leftovers. And that is to say that usually people are doing in their sexual relationships what both people can validate. 
meaning it's the lowest common denominator because we don't usually want to tolerate the invalidation of our spouse by offering something into the relationship that the other person's not comfortable with. And I don't think that another person's comfort should run a sexual relationship. I think morality should. I think whether or not goodness is being created should run it, but not necessarily whether or not everyone's comfortable because whenever you are you know, the first time you ever have had sex, you probably were not comfortable because, you know, it's a whole different level of exposure. I mean, it might have been exciting. It might have been, you might have been curious and happy, but it wasn't meaning a lot of times you're, you're pushing yourself into territory that you haven't yet mastered. And so comfort's not necessarily the best barometer of whether or not something is good. It is a barometer, but not the best barometer. Whether or not some goodness is being created in the context of your relationship, that's a better measure. Unfortunately, we don't have raging hormones driving us to communicate <laughs> openly with our spouse. Yes, exactly. So it takes it takes it does take some courage, I think, to. Yeah, and I guess it it's a vulnerable position to put yourself out there and say, "Hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I I think right. we should and do I, A, B, and C." You know, and I. I keep bringing up my the online classes that I do, but I, this is really the the this is really why I think that creating passionate marriages, creating marriages in which the sexuality is is authentic and good, is really valuable in our spiritual development. And we this is even a part of our theology that our sexuality, that our bodies, our sexuality are given to us to and marriage is given to us as a way of pressuring our development and for me this fits very very much with reality my experience in working with couples and so it's sometimes uh, challenging us but allowing ourselves to really learn from the ways in which our marriage is pressuring us to evolve sexually relationally is, is a very valuable process and why I think marriage is a divine institution Great. That is a uh, good starting point for dealing with these issues, I think. So uh, thank you, Jennifer, for addressing those questions. You're welcome. So I guess we'll, we'll meet up again in a month and, and talk more. Okay, wonderful. Folks, there you have it. One more episode of our series, Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist, with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. That makes nine episodes. As always, you can continue to ask your questions through comments on the blog posts we check periodically. You can also email your questions to askdrfife at rationalfaiths.com. So as different issues or interests come up, look at the page that I described in the interview. Go to rationalface.com, go to the About drop-down menu, the podcast page, and you'll see very brief descriptions of the topics covered in all nine parts of the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist series. Um, if those don't seem to quite address the issue that is concerning you, Start reading the books that we've listed on the blog post for this episode. And if that's still not solving your problem, feel free to ask questions in the ways that I've just described. 
As for next week on the podcast, we will be doing another of the Human Mormon Mind series where we take psychological concepts, describe them, and discuss their applicability in the wider world and especially in the world of Mormonism. And the topics for that are groupthink, pluralistic ignorance, and religious cults. So look forward to that. And until next time, keep keeping it weird. Thank you.